You're listening to Mr. Open Banking, the only podcast dedicated to exploring the open banking movement. Whether you're a financial expert, banking executive, or everyday consumer, open banking affects everyone and will change the way we interact with our money. I'm A.L. Savan, your host. This episode is brought to you by Axway, leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years. Despite open banking now being well-established, skeptics remain. Open banking advocates promise a monumental shift in banking dominance, a shakeup of the status quo. But so far, dramatic change has yet to occur. In short, the skeptics wonder whether the threat posed by open banking is real. To understand that threat, we first need to remember what open banking actually does. It defines a common standard for how banks and other third parties can securely share data. It does this in part by defining a shared set of APIs, or Application Programming Interfaces. These APIs are the glue that let all the players talk to each other. Most banks have been on their API journeys for years. Getting systems to connect and talk to each other through APIs is a key part of what bank IT departments do. But a challenge that began as internal has now become external, as banks race to create networks of partners around their bank. The external part is not new either. Banks have been doing B2B integration for ages. However, the adoption of common standards, such as those introduced by open banking, has led to an explosion in the size and breadth of the financial ecosystem. Hence all the impressive numbers surrounding open banking. $50 billion market size by 2026. 30% less customers at existing channels. Thousands of third parties millions of users, billions of transactions. All these big numbers are enough to make your head spin, but the trend is undeniable. Powered by the network effects of shared standards, the banking system of tomorrow will be radically different from the one we have today. Perhaps the most striking number yet comes from Accenture. According to a recent report, they claim that up to $416 billion of banking revenue is at stake. Some who hear that number, and even those who read the full report, may come away skeptical. So, we brought on the author of that report to help us better understand the threat of open banking. Amit Malik has over 20 years of consulting and technology experience in the financial services industry. Today, he leads Accenture's global open banking practice, where he engages with many of the top international banks and regulators in addressing the open banking and open API agenda. In his role, Amit has managed multiple international projects involving open banking strategy, GDPR, consent management, and PSD program delivery. Amit's expertise extends well beyond open banking into the realm of APIs, 
including API technology enablement, program management, and the building of open data ecosystems. Amit, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Accenture is one of the largest, most well-respected business consulting firms in the world, giving them a unique vantage point on the emergence of open banking. Tell us the story of how you came to build an open banking practice. How did it all start? In my early days in Accenture, I was leading a mobile apps practice, helping banks to understand how best to design and utilize mobile solutions. If you're thinking about modern mobile solutions, and this was back in 2012, we used to start thinking about APIs to connect to core system of records and deliver the necessary functionality. I think in 2014, we saw banks started building a bunch of internal APIs to address their own digital transformation agenda. So that's where really the story started. We started you know, working with banks around their internal API strategy, helping them to choose the right tools, technologies, identifying key use cases. I would almost say fortunately, around 2015, the open banking regulation, which was named as PSD2, was announced in Europe. That really started the entire conversation for Accenture around open banking, where suddenly this practice, which was helping banks to address their internal API strategy, started evolving into an external API strategy practice, courtesy of the upcoming PSD2 regulation. Your team has not been ambiguous about the importance of succeeding at open banking. A report you published last year entitled Catching the Open Banking Wave states that there is, and I quote, an estimated $416 billion in banking revenue at stake in the transition to an open data economy, end quote. That's a big number. Can you explain how that number was calculated? We looked at banking revenue pools in different geographies. We looked at percentage of transactions which were originated from other channels beyond a bank's own existing channel. We looked at demographics in a given region to try to understand propensity of customers who would adopt open banking or embrace open banking. We looked at businesses and large corporates who would have a tendency to build these APIs which would support the open banking agenda. And when you start crunching all of those numbers, all of those revenue pools, you start formulating a view of the revenue pool which open banking might attract. Majority of that revenue will be lost to banks if they don't join the open banking bandwagon. So there is clearly 416 billion, but a lot of it is also revenue at risk, which the banks won't be able to tap into and somebody else will tap into if they don't embrace open banking. Can you help slice that number up a bit? Are we talking about two or three big buckets or is this more like death by a thousand cuts? We, we definitely are talking about two and three big buckets. One is channel revenue. Two definitely is revenue from payments and lending, which I think is a big component of this from a revenue perspective. And three is any other services which a financial services firm might be able to offer. And that doesn't necessarily mean banking services. It could be non-banking services also. Let's say 
I'm a skeptic. I don't believe this threat is real. I'm a bank and I'm going to do nothing to react to this wave. What happens to me? Well, I think from a pure numbers perspective, market share will start dwindling. Customer engagement or customer stickiness will get marginalized because you will not be able to offer newer products and services as fast as your rivals. And depending on the economy and the market in which you are operating in, the decline could be faster especially if there are large super app players who are leveraging all sorts of open banking-based connectivity. Really, the bank becomes initially a backend player who doesn't have direct customer touch points and over a period of time is getting truly marginalized to the point of non-existence. This threat, the $416 billion at stake, the report is quite clear that much of that is being targeted by non-banks that are moving into banking. This is a well-documented trend. Witness Apple's launch of Buy Now, Pay Later and many other examples. Is this where the main threat is coming from? Absolutely. The way I want to start thinking about that is once open banking starts evolving into open finance and finally we evolve into the world of open data, all of financial services will be accessible through APIs and other industry services will also be accessible through APIs. But if we, if we just take the financial service example, that means players who weren't able to tap into financial data in the past will be able to tap in use either their brand or their ability to manage data to actually launch more differentiated, more invisible and integrated journeys for customers. That's where the real threat is. I strongly believe that the evolution of open banking into open finance into open data boundaries across industries will blur. It will be very difficult in five years' time to really understand, is Apple a tech giant or are they a financial services company? Are they a lender? Are they a payments platform provider? What are they? And similar logic applies to all of the big techs. And I suspect that some of the larger players from other industries, especially telcos, will also start featuring heavily into the space. Uh, We have seen in the last one year how most of the leading telcos in each of the major geographies, have launched financial services propositions. So big tech and Apple is not the only threat. I think telecoms are also an emerging threat because they have access to customers. They have large customer bases, and they also have access to unique information about the customer, especially their location and the context of a given transaction. If fintechs, neobanks, big techs, and even rival banks are all trying to stake a claim for this revenue. What do banks need to do to ensure they're not losing it, that they're not losing that market share? I think banks need to start thinking about a few different things. One, start thinking of key use cases, key journeys, propositions which can be further improved 
I intentionally use the word improve through open banking. I think beyond that, they need to start thinking about new journeys, etc., which they can introduce into the market on the back of the open banking framework. Second is banks need to start thinking about ecosystems. This is not about doing it yourself, as all of us understand. This is being a part of the ecosystem and having a clear understanding of what is your role within the ecosystem. Three possibly is getting the right operating model and organization structure in place to support this. You really need to have the API first mindset. You need to have the partnership mindset. You need to be agile and nimble to be in this space. And last but not least, you need to have the right technology stack. $416 billion in revenue under threat. A number so large, it bears repeating. $416 billion. Almost half a trillion. According to Amit, that number breaks down into three big buckets. Channel revenue, payments and lending, and value-added services like advice. Those are the stakes. Banks who ignore this shift will be outgunned by players who are more engaged and more connected. Eventually, they will become just another back-end player, a utility, and risk being marginalized to the point of non-existence. To fix this, banks must look at the problem from several angles. They must decide which user journeys they want to focus on and enable. They must consider what their role is in the wider financial ecosystem. Do they have an operating model that will scale their network of partners? And last but certainly not least, do they have the right technology to make it all work? According to Accenture's report, the problem can be broken down into four core capabilities. One, data custodianship. Two, data management and analytics mastery. Three, agile partnership. And four, trusted security. Strengthening these four capabilities is a key part of open banking success. So I asked Tomit to take us through each of them in turn. Data custodianship, what does that mean? I think this is about data ownership and being the trusted custodian of a customer's data. Open banking and its future versions, including open finance and open data, will make a huge amount of data available to any organization who is accessing it. Owning that data and providing enough trust to the customer that that data is secure and will be used for a specified purpose is important. And and I think banks are very well placed to do that, they being custodians of our money. Second, data management and analytics mastery. The first phase of open banking was heavily focused on APIs. 
And once you have APIs in place, the next thing to start thinking about is what do I do with all of the data? So I have got the data. Everybody knows that the data is secure with me. What do I do with the data and how can I leverage the data? I strongly believe that amongst all technical capabilities a bank would need, this is perhaps the most important one and perhaps the most differentiating one when it comes to being truly a world-class player in the world of open banking. Third, agile partnership. Traditional large incumbent partnership models are typically a six to nine month onboarding process. That type of old school procurement driven approach wouldn't work in the world of open banking. You need to be very fast. You need to have a process and an operating model, which would allow partners to be onboarded onto the bank, which would allow joint propositions to be tested both in the bank and both within the partners organization. And it will allow joint go to market rapidly. So the entire idea is you have to finish onboarding a third-party partner, especially fintechs, within three to four weeks. Finally, number four, trusted security. On its own, security is very important. And as all of us understand, most of the open banking journeys built around a slightly different approach where you are able to access and do banking functions or banking transactions from third-party channels, which means that you need to build the right security models and the right security protocols, which will allow the consumers of these services to feel safe and trust these type of journeys. Here we are talking about things which have evolved in the past couple of years, but things like OAuth 2, OpenID Connect, All of these technologies, I think, are getting embraced by banks around what is their overall approach to security when it comes to open banking. There's another feature that you've often talked about, and that's developer experience. Banks are fond of talking about APIs like products. They love saying APIs are products, treat them like products. But Few have invested in APIs and the developer experience the way they would invest in a credit card or a mortgage. Why is that? And is that a problem? From a branding perspective, you're absolutely right. Banks claim that they have lots of APIs, but there is no commensurate investment within the developer experience. Case in point being, If APIs were a key component of your future growth strategy and the developer portal is your channel for people to access those APIs, why is the investment in developer portals and the developer experience a fraction of what you have with your other channels like your web, mobile, or in case of large incumbent banks, the physical branch? So apart from a few handful of banks, I think in general, the developer experience, the entire developer portal part of the open banking journey has mostly been ignored. Why do you think that is? I think larger banks have been too focused around dealing with the intricacies of their legacy, their existing system of records, and trying to grapple with 
the complexities around extracting data and services, which might sit in a 30, 40 year old system and making it available to the external ecosystem. At the moment, because of all of the other challenges they face, it seems to me that this is lowered down the priority in terms of things to do. I think the API first mindset and lack of it not being there is also contributing to this. If it's legacy that is holding them back, is it fair to say that emerging markets that don't have as much banking legacy have an advantage? I'm thinking here of banks like DBS in Singapore. I think so. Two things. Either you don't have legacy, which means you definitely have an advantage and you are more agile and you can embrace open banking easily, or banks which have legacy but have been able to decouple the legacy with the fast-moving digital front-end. A a good case in point is BBVA, which is a large bank, which has lots of legacy systems, but they have wonderfully achieved what I call as digital decoupling and separated the complex legacy from the fast-moving digital front-end or the channel which services open banking. I've heard the term bimodal IT. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, uh, bimodal IT, digital decoupling, two-speed IT, absolutely yes. So either you you don't have legacy or you embrace two-speed IT and you are a master of two-speed IT. You need to be one of these two. BBVA is one example. You've also mentioned Citibank and their City Connect initiative. Is that another one you've been impressed by? City Connect is a great example of a service which existed in the past may not be through modern RESTful APIs, which was significantly re-engineered, transformed, and repackaged into an API-first product. I think recently, uh, probably within the last six months, they announced that they have serviced more than 1 billion transactions in the last two years using City Connect APIs, which is a good number. This is all external API use. This is what City's corporate customers are using to connect into City. If you were to sum up, what are DBS, BBVA, and Citibank doing that other banks are not doing? I think it goes back to the four points which I talked about earlier. Clearly, they have thought through the key use cases which align with their business strategy and business vision. And all three have done slightly differently. City has focused on corporate and transaction banking APIs. DBS have more focused around retail and payment APIs and probably APIs from other third-party partners, whereas BBVA has really focused on a bunch of APIs which would accelerate access to the various products and services. I think this is a great example of a simple use case accelerated by open banking. So BBVA partnered with Uber, and the entire proposition was, if I can embed my account opening API inside the Uber new driver onboarding journey. So the same form which a driver fills up to onboard themselves to Uber and become an Uber card driver could also be used to populate an account opening form and actually open a new bank account in the entire process. And BBVA trialed this with Uber first in Mexico. And the results were fantastic. 40% of new Uber drivers in Mexico had a BBVA bank account. 
one example of BBBS partnership strategy where they said that we will partner with Uber whenever they want to launch in a new region or a new country. So partnerships is really key and how you approach that segment is important and starts making a difference. A real world example of embedded finance. Is that the key to unlocking the value of open banking, getting your banking capabilities embedded in myriad digital experiences? I think so. And I think it is a bit more than that. I strongly believe that open banking is a two-way street. So it's about having your banking capabilities available on other channels, embedded in other digital experiences, or actually consuming services from other experiences and really enhancing your banking experience. I believe that there are great examples of how banks have been embedding financial services into other journeys and vice versa, how banks have been connecting into other industries and bringing those services into banking. I think a great example is what UOB did in Singapore, where actually they launched a travel portal. You would ask me, why would a bank want to do that? They realized that most of their customers travel overseas frequently on holidays and only time they know that is when the credit card bill comes. So I think they decided to partner with Expedia and Booking.com and really build that end-to-end travel experience, which not only brings what travel aggregators like Expedia and Booking do, which is, you know, bring flights, hotels, car hires, et cetera, together, but it brought the banking aspect of it in terms of international credit cards, insurance, tax refunds, et cetera, et cetera, in one complete integrated journey. And these are great examples of how banks have started to think about using open banking, using external APIs, open APIs from other industries to actually transform and significantly improve existing customer journeys. We have seen lots of banks uh, embedding different types of propositions, whether it's payments, whether it is wallets, whether it's things like buy now, pay later into other industries and really embedding it at a point of need. Mastering the four core capabilities is not enough on its own. Banks must also consider the developer experience. If you are already calling your APIs products, are you really treating them like products? Do you really think of developers as your customers? Are you marketing and selling your APIs the way you would a mortgage? Most banks are not quite there yet, but the leaders are showing the way. DBS out of Singapore has created a vast network of non-bank partners around its retail and payments APIs. Citibank from New York has processed more than a billion API calls from its partners in the last two years, focused more on the corporate side. Spanish bank BBVA is using their APIs to drive targeted, well-defined business opportunities, embedding their banking capabilities at the point of need. The competition doesn't just come from fellow banks. 
Increasingly, we see non-banks like big techs and telcos moving into banking. In response, we even see some of the more ambitious banks moving into non-banking, like ride-hailing or travel. The lines between industries continue to blur. However, as Amit says, open banking is a two-sided coin. Serving up your banking capabilities through embedded finance is one side, but creating the digital face for the customer is the other. Offering customers a unified, integrated experience, not just for banking, but for managing their entire digital life, is not a new idea. These experiences exist today. They're called super apps. That's where Amit and I go next. What is the significance of the super app model? Are they a threat or an opportunity? Super apps have been hugely successful in Asia and, and, and due to multiple reasons. But I think super apps are gaining popularity in the West also. We probably wouldn't have the same scale and complexity of super apps like what we have seen in China. But large incumbent players like PayPal and Klarna have a clearly stated ambition to become super apps. A key component of the super app is ability to provide financial services, especially wallet-based transactions and payments, etc. And I think this is where open banking starts to be an integral part of most of these super app journeys because of how payments and payment APIs and accessibility to payments at different points of needs uh, are important. Large banks need to start thinking about how will they respond to super apps? Uh, what will be their role in a super app ecosystem? And, and, and the reason I say that this is an opportunity is that the super app provider will not necessarily have one of two things. They may not have the necessary license to provide financial services or regulatory approval, which banks have. Two is they may not necessarily have the right balance sheet to support a lot of these new type of journeys. But it's almost the old saying, the early bird catches the worm. They need to pick up pace in that space and figure out who they want to partner with and what sort of services will they provide to a super app provider. Unless, of course, they themselves want to become the super app provider, which is also definitely within the realm of thinking of most of the larger banks. Is there an alternative model or is there a certain inevitability to super apps? I think super apps will emerge, but they may have different flavors in different markets. So I think super apps are inevitable, but it goes back to the question of what do you define as super app? Uh, we will call WeChat a super app in China, but we will possibly not consider Klarna or PayPal as a super app in the UK. So I think there'll be different flavors, but yes, they are coming, absolutely. You clearly view super apps as part of the larger transition taking place. The subtitle of your report is Super Apps and the Open Data Economy. What is meant by the open data economy? 
we have been exposed to open banking for the last three, four years. While open banking means different things to different people, the general consensus is that open banking makes banking data available in a lot of different non-banking journeys and other industries. I think if we expand that thinking and say, wouldn't it be brilliant if I could get a customer's telecom data like their location and call history available through API? Wouldn't it be great if I could get a detail of a customer's shopping basket, uh, including everything that they have bought through APIs? Wouldn't it be great if I have details of their utility consumption, like gas, electricity, or water through APIs? And this is what we are referring to as an open data economy where all industries over a period of time are opened up so that customer can make the right decision and make the right data accessible to necessary third parties. So the open data economy for me refers to open banking, open telecom, open retail, open utilities, and so on and so forth. Does this open the door not only for non-banks to get into banking, but for banks to get into non-banking? Earlier, you gave us an example of a bank opening a travel portal. Absolutely, absolutely. Open data is an opportunity for banks to start providing non-banking services and really go beyond banking revenue pools and start addressing other customer daily needs. It has to be an important and core part of every strategy. One of the consistent advice which I've been giving to my clients over the last two years around their open banking strategy is that your open banking strategy will be incomplete if you don't consider open finance and open data. We are very soon going to enter a space where other industry data will also be available and any sort of a strategy, roadmap, future vision, has to factor that in because otherwise your journeys will be incomplete and you'll be missing out on newer journeys, newer use cases, which you might be able to act upon. You once said the next battleground is data. What do you mean by that? I think over the next few years, there will be access to a range of data, whether it is banking data, whether it is retail data, whether it is telecom data, whether it's data from other industries. I think nobody knows exactly how to utilize this data and what sort of innovation or improvement it can drive, either within existing journeys or into brand new journeys. Which is why I say the battleground will be data organizations or people who are able to understand that and build new products and services which use this new available data set will start making a difference. Amit, where can our guests find out more about you and your work with Accenture? I publish very, very regularly and actively on Accenture.com. I have a blog series, especially related to open banking and digital payments, 
if anybody's interested in getting views on what's happening in the market, including things which are very hot topics these days, uh, like wallets, like super apps, like metaverse, they can look up my series of blogs and learn more about what I'm up to. Excellent. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. In 1995, amidst the early days of the internet, while it was still called the Information Superhighway, Bill Gates published the first edition of The Road Ahead, his book about the coming digital future. He quickly realized that he had underestimated the growth and importance of the internet, and the next year he released a substantially revised edition. The afterword included a now-famous quote. We always overestimate the change that will occur in the next two years and underestimate the change that will occur in the next ten. As of this recording, over 50 countries are in the process of implementing open banking. It aims to set common standards for how financial data is shared, just like the internet set common standards for how we share data today. Open banking represents the creation of an entirely new layer of infrastructure on top of the common protocols of the internet itself. And just as Mr. Gates underestimated the impact of the internet back then, many today underestimate the coming impact of open banking. Although we are still in the early stages, open banking is really just the beginning of a much larger transition into what Amit calls the open data economy. As API standards expand, moving from open banking to open finance and eventually to open data, the lines between industries will continue to blur. As partner networks grow ever more complex, The difference between a bank and a non-bank will become little more than semantics. Amit offers some advice on how to grapple with this shift. Remember the four core capabilities, data custodianship, data management and analytics mastery, agile partnership, and trusted security. Remember to treat your APIs like real products and your developers like real customers. And above all, remember who you're doing all this for. The people who trust you to be their bank. The quote from Gates doesn't end with his observation about long-term change. It continues with a warning. Don't let yourself be lulled into inaction. The final piece of advice is this. Think big. $416 billion big. The change that's coming will alter banking forever. If you're a bank, your challenge is how to turn this threat into the opportunity of a lifetime. Thanks for listening to Mr. Open Banking. 
the podcast that explores the ongoing evolution of open banking and its impact on our lives. Make no mistake, the rise of open banking is going to change financial services forever, and we will be covering that story every step of the way. This is your host, A.L. Savan. Until next time. This episode was made possible by Axway, leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years and creators of the Amplify platform. To learn more, visit axway.com.